It's time to get on the ice. Music City Gold is on the air. With Kyle Hancock, Daniel Mangrum, and Matt Bain. We are Smashville's best fan-driven podcast. Featuring news around the league, the Predators, and the occasional hot take or two. Part of the Penalty Box Radio Network. You're listening to Music City Gold. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Music City Gold on Penalty Box Radio. We are so glad you're here. We are brought to you by Seven Elements, and my name's Kyle. With me, always, is Daniel and Matt. Hello. Hey, guys. We've got a great show for you today, guys. We've got Robbie Stanley from NHL.com joining us in a little bit. But first things first, guys, how was your weekend? You know, it was, it was a pretty long weekend, actually. Uh, we all were involved in a fall party. You know, we got some costumes going. Mine was uh, very simple. Uh, Chelsea and I were going to do Jack. Well, we did Jack and Jill, but we were going to do Carl and Ellie from Up. And it was kind of a last minute thing. So we got a wedding. It's okay. You know, you're paying for a wedding. You got to get paying for a honeymoon. And you're like, hmm, maybe next year. Maybe next year, babe. So we we agreed to do uh, Jack and Jill. And it actually came out very well. It was the first time I've ever had eyeliner put on me. So that was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of makeup, I mean, another person in our group had a huge outfit, let me tell you. Yes, I actually got the makeup treatment as well, Carl, this weekend. First time ever, obviously. You look great. Yeah, my wife, I went as Trump, uh, Mr. Trump, and she went as fake news, which was a bit (laughs) of a creative costume. We happened to found it on the internet somewhere. And we usually do something normal. We don't like to splash politics or anything like that. It was just funny and creative. And, And if you know anything about me, I tend to be the center of attention, the life of the party anyway. So it, me being a, kind of a, uh, a brash, big personality just kind of fit the bill for me. We thought it'd be funny and unique. And uh, so that's what we went this weekend. But uh, yeah, I had a big wig on, which was hilarious. Because Looked like an anchorman too. You had like a little napkin in your, yeah. uh, in your uh, dress shirt for all the makeup getting applied ahead of time. So I actually didn't recognize you at first when I got there because I was picking people up because, you know, where the place we were at had limited parking. So I get there, I find your wife and I was like, hey, where's Matt at? And she's like, he's over there. And I was like, where? She's like, that's him. <laughs> With Mr. Blonde, Mr. Was, Mr. President. I was like, holy crap, he has hair. Yes, that was what I thought made it just great because I've got a little bit of a bald patch on the top there. And uh, me with a full head of blonde hair, I thought would be hilarious and uh, felt like I was back in high school. <laughs> it was kind of nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Reminiscent of old high school Matt there. And then, uh, of course, I went as Han Solo in Carbonite, though. And I thought that was a great costume it's because funny, I man. remember you showed it to me one night and I didn't really piece two and two together. I knew it was Star Wars, but for some reason my mind was going, is he trying to portray the Death Star? No, dude. It, it was just so no, funny. It, it yeah. was just so funny. And that was right up your personality too. That, that's right up for your alley. I will say though, it was really kind of creepy when you come up behind people and it was just like all you saw were these hands and you didn't see anything else attached to the hands. Just a block of ice. Yeah, I had to talk with my hands the whole night. People couldn't see my face moving, obviously. So, uh, you know, it was a good good outfit, good time. We had fun at the fall party. But, boy, I was tired today, Monday, on yeah. a rainy non-hockey night for the Predators. And it has just been gloomy and I'm starving. But we're here and we're going to talk some hockey. And that being said, let's just go and get some league news. You know who's having a really good time right now? The Oilers. Yeah, they are. About time. Yeah, they are. I mean, Matt, this is the team that I think you picked for like two years in a row to win the Stanley Cup. And the year you don't pick them, they seem to be having just this great time. I mean, look at this. They picked up James Newell in the offseason from Milan Lucic. And it seems like Neil is just what he needed. 
I was listening to the 31 Thoughts podcast with Elliot Freeman the other day, and he was talking about how that basically Neil hated it in Calgary, and Calgary hated having him. <laughs> he wanted that last option, the last year option on his contract with Vegas, and Vegas wasn't going to give it to him. So he wanted to leave, and basically Calgary said, yeah, you can come up here. And they said it was like basically he was, you know, had one of those jobs that he left because he thought it'd be greener. Then when he got there, he realized this job absolutely sucks. And so that's kind of what he was with Calgary. And so Oilers pick him up, and my goodness, man, he's had nine games. He's had nine goals. Leads the NHL in goals, too. And four He's going to cool down some. Oh, no, no he's hot, baby. True. Uh, the, the whole year. God, he's going to have he's gonna have 82 goals this but year. But you got to admit, though, he looks like a new man. I mean, four of his goals came against Barry Trotz Islanders. And, I, and I'll tell you, the, the saying, surprising thing is people are saying, you know, he really hadn't changed much since his last system. He's just kind of getting good puck luck and things are going in. And that's kind of scary that he's like – Got more goals than he did last year, and we're not even in the first month of the freaking season, you know? Uh, whatever it's doing, I don't know. Maybe he just hated it in Calgary, and the puck hated it too, but it's going right right now. The Oilers are – I was like, what year is this? I mean, if you look at the top of the league right now, Colorado, Edmonton, Buffalo, I mean, it's crazy. You can tell it's just, hockey's just started because the uh, top of the leaderboard is not going to look like that in uh, another month or two. But it is quite interesting to see uh, Edmonton at such a hot start. And hey, good for James Neal, man. Oh, and almost forgot, um, Carter Hutton seems to be doing really well, too. Former Preds goalie, everyone loves him. You know, hashtag, hey, thanks for having me, guys. Turns out to be the third NHL star of the week because he had back-to-back shutouts against the Stars and the Kings. Hey, good for him, man. I'm glad he's actually finding some success, you know, in any level. It's just been sad seeing him bounce around so much. I mean, he's first in the NHL with a .953. He's first also with a 1.39 goals against, and he's the only goaltender so far in our very young season to have multiple shutouts. So, hey, man, if he can ride that success and just keep it going, you know, he's one of those goalies that, you know, we play against him, I'll chant against him, but I can't hate the guy. Absolutely love him. You know, it's always awkward at the beginning of the year. The stats seem to be topsy-turvy. We see Carter Hutton, probably the best goalie right now. You know, Edmonton right up there on the top of the league. And also, the guy with the most points in the NHL is a defenseman. Washington's John Carlson and has 18 points, leads the NHL. And uh, who would have thought defenseman leads the league in points? That's great, but, you know, that's not going to last another two weeks or so. Uh, it's just crazy. That's the way it is at the first of the year. Everything seems upside down. Yeah, it's actually crazy. Um, Connor McDavid had 17 points in seven games. God. <laughs> 17 points in seven games. The last three players to do that is Connor McDavid, Mario Lemieux, and Wayne Gretzky. Wow, that seems like a stat I should have heard about. That is, that's like that's not just good care, uh, you know, company. That's the best of the best all wow. time company. Yeah. Like so, I said last star, time, he, like at one point he was also on pace for 199 points. I think that's now down to like 160 range. But you know, I mean, pretty hot start for McDavid. Well, it's like Colorado, like they're just flying out the gate too. They were the last team to be undefeated. Like that's crazy. You know who's not been hot to start the year? A very interesting piece of news items. Uh, I hope you guys have seen this. The Philadelphia Flyers have introduced a rage room for yes. $35 at the arena. You can get a five minute rage session, and that includes a room equipped with a hockey stick, baseball bat, sledgehammer, where you can smash plates. Uh, TVs, glasses, 
uh, anything you feel like doing. It is only ex- uh, the room is only accessible through a secret bookshelf in the stadium, kind of like something from uh, Wayne Manor or something pretty crazy. But it comes equipped with a jumpsuit and uh, a safety helmet where Flyers fans can go and smash a bunch of junk because of how mad they are. I knew their first client who uh, ordered this or whatever paid was a partial season ticket holder to go in and let out some of his frustrations over the last five years. And that is a very interesting idea and it seems to be fitting with Philly culture. It's like uh, an indoor smash car. Yeah, during the playoffs. I mean, that's essentially what it is. We we do that just for the playoffs. Obviously, we have a car for those who don't know, and it sets outside of Bridgestone Arena and whatever the opponent is. It is usually themed. I mean, the one year we had the Jets out there, yeah. they had they actually had a full plane, which I thought was pretty impressive. Um, but yeah, I mean, teams are getting really creative with <laughs> with some of their money making right now as far as uh, i think most of these are actually for charity too so i do have to clarify that the teams aren't making money on this usually but uh i mean hey, look at the pedal tavern well you saw what oh, happened well, to it in quotes pedal tavern r.i.p pedal tavern rally tavern <laughs> yeah so rest in peace rally tavern it is now a straight up bar yep in the arena yep it's just parked somewhere in bridgestone so but to be fair you know it was a good try it's a unique idea. It's like, why not take advantage of the idea that's already in Nashville? Why not? But, you know, overall fan experience is like, nope, get that out of there. So good job for the Preds listening to, you know, the customer feedback at least. Yeah, they're always really prompt and good about that. <laughs> Granted, I don't think they really did a poll ahead of time on this one because I think that would have prevented this thing even coming yeah. out on the ice because, like, it's whatever. I get it. It's for a good cause. But also at the same time, like, I don't really like them driving around Nashville. So it's like, whatever. I was going to deal with it being on the ice. I thought it was a little funny, but at the same time, it's just like, come on, guys. So. Well, now you'll see, you wonder if the uh, Power Play song is going to change. You know, right now it's Dirk Bentley's custom uh, version of 5150, and it seems just to be very lackluster. Here's the deal, though. We're at 20, 20% right now, so <laughs> it's working. There you go. It's, it's better than 12 last year, so if that anyone wants to complain, I'm just saying, we're all, you know, we're not superstitious, but we're just a little stitious here, so you, you know. It's working right now. Well, since we're talking about the Preds, let's go ahead and let's introduce our guests. So join us by phone is Robbie Stanley. He is the NHL.com correspondent for the Preds. Robbie, how's it going? Doing great. How's everybody else doing? There's no Preds game tonight, man. I know. It's like a, a void inside of you. Once hockey season like gets kicked back off, like literally everything in my life gets, gets planned around it. So when there's not a game night, sometimes I have no idea what day it is because I've based my entire schedule off of the predator schedule so nights like these i don't really know what to do with my hands so i'm glad I can <laughs> write something you know i'm the same way yeah. it's so weird like having a game schedule you know it's almost always a tuesday thursday and a saturday <laughs> and then when you get that occasional like rare monday night or even the rare like sunday game it just throws off completely and you're just like i don't know what to do like do i go home Oh, there have been several times where I've been writing a game story on like a Monday night and I'll just put Tuesday in there and my bosses will email me and they'll be like, Robbie, can you not figure out what day of the week it is? I'm like, no, <laughs> they always play on a Tuesday. I'm sorry. You know, I can. They're not supposed to be playing on a Monday. You know, I can, I can relate with you on that. So um, I know, you know, uh, Michael Gallagher and a couple times uh, just for, I guess, for, for just some extra pocket change, I would work with him doing some high school sports. And occasionally I would forget what city we were in for the game oh yeah so if it's like murfreesboro like i would have i would pull up the previous game report from like smyrna and i'd send it to him and he's like dude we're not in smyrna it's murfreesboro (laughs) 
Well, it's the same county, so that's close enough. But what I learned real quickly is that there's like this so-called debate of how you not only say Laverne, but how you spell it. <laughs> there's like, a debate on how you spell it, huh? Right. So like some people, it's L-A-V. Right. And I've seen some people go L-A capital V. Oh. And I'm like, I've, I've actually have seen that, so. Uh, and I've gotten flagged a few times, not from Michael himself, but from other people going, you spelt this wrong. I'm Semantics. Like, yeah, I'm like, you know what it means. That's really the only thing that matters is do the people know what you're talking about? And the answer is yes. We even had a West Coast swing to start off the Preds trip this year. And that's just throwing me off, too, because, I mean, staying up to midnight to watch these games here. Yeah. Killer. That first. Let night, me tell you. Hmm, first late game, I was not prepared. Yeah. I'm sure that's uh, affecting you as well, Robbie. <laughs> Especially that Arizona game, because let me tell you, for the first 45 minutes of that game, it was rough to watch. It was not good. Well, I'm under the impression that um, Arizona games are just on my list of that. I really don't care if we play Arizona, because I know that nine times out of ten, we're going to lose in some spectacular fashion. It, it's, you know, it's really weird when you look at kind of some of the teams they've struggled against since Peter Lavillette's been coach. When playing at Arizona, they don't do well at all. They seem to always do well when Arizona comes here, but it doesn't matter where they play the Detroit Red Wings or the Carolina Hurricanes. They always struggle against those two teams. It's really weird, just the random teams that have given them fits over the last couple of years. It's the bottom feeders. As Matt's over here shaking his head. He's a Red Wings fan, so so we feel for him. <laughs> so since we were talking about the game in Arizona real quick, let's just go ahead and get into our talk points that we have. Robbie, the big news, well, we actually had two big pieces of news over the offseason for the Preds, but the biggest one is that David Poyle finally got his white well, for lack of better words, that he got Matt Duchesne. So far, he has made an impact. You know, I was checking his uh, overall averages before we, before we started recording tonight, and over 10 seasons, he's averaged about 54, 55 points, and he already has 10 points with the Preds with two goals and eight assists for the season, and he seems to have just really driven this offense. Now, being somebody that, you know, has spoken to him down in the media scrums after the game and watching him on the ice in the press box, how do you feel about him? Well, I, I think he's been great to, to start his Predators career. There's no question about that. Uh, particularly just how quickly he was able to develop some chemistry with Philip Forsberg, I, I, I thought was just unbelievable. I mean, sometimes, and it's funny kind of how this happens in, in sports, whether it's hockey, football, baseball, whatever, Sometimes you bring in a new guy and there's just instantaneous chemistry. And I think the Predators have had that with Matt Duchesne. He's very comfortable here. He's made no secret about how much he wanted to be in Nashville and how much kind of the city and just the lifestyle that we have here in Nashville really fits what he and his family are all about. So I think the off-ice fit has made him very comfortable. And remember, guys, I mean, he's been a guy that's bounced around from Colorado to Ottawa and then to Columbus late last year at the trading deadline. So this is the first time in a while that he's really been in a place that he knows he's going to be at long term. And I think that can really have a positive effect on a player on the ice when you're, when you're getting comfortable in your new surrounding and you know that this is going to be a long-term solution for your career. So he's come in, and I think Matt Duchesne has been everything the Predators could have possibly hoped that he would be so far. Obviously, he's looked much more dangerous with Philip Forsberg alongside him the last couple of games when he hasn't had Forsberg. I don't think he's been quite as good, but that's to be expected when you're playing with a guy like Philip Forsberg, who I think uh, has as much talent as almost anybody in this league. So uh, I did think he played really well in the last game where he switched over to the wing 
when Kyle Turris was centering his line. So just all in all, I think he's been really good so far. And what he does more than anything, and I talked to Ryan Johansson about this a little bit, it really gives the Predators some options that I don't think they've had before. And what I mean by that is it's been no secret the last three years how good that top line for the Predators has been. Philip Forsberg, Ryan Johansson, Victor Arvidsson have been one of the best lines in the NHL. And we all know that. But the, the other part of that is every team in the league knows that as well. And you could see it last year in the first round of the playoffs. The Dallas Stars, come hell or high water, they were not going to get beat by that top line. They put all of their emphasis on the shutting down that top line offensively. And the Predators just didn't really have anything behind that. Now with Matt Duchesne, you can split that top line up and you've got two really dangerous lines in your top six. And, and not to mention the way that Kyle Turris is playing so far. And we'll get to that here in a minute. Uh, but I just think the Predators with Matt Duchesne They've got so many more options now, five on five. And then the power play, having that left-handed shot on the net front gives them so many options because Ryan Johansson kind of told me this too. Last year, you had Victor Arvidsson in front of the net. And for what they asked him to do, I I think he can do it. But having that right-handed shot, it doesn't really open up that pass in the middle like we've seen Duchesne do several times so far this year where he takes the puck from Ryan Johansson along the goal line and immediately puts it back in the middle for Victor Arvidsson in the slot. They've scored a couple times doing that so far in the season. So he just brings a lot of different options and different elements to this group. And I think it's been a really seamless fit for Matt Duchesne so far. So going back to his bouncing around, obviously you said, you know, he starts off in Colorado. They become a dumpster fire. He gets shipped off to Ottawa, who instantly becomes another dumpster fire. And then, you know, you could argue that, it, you know, his his best teammates were on the Columbus playoff run there, where he was actually putting up great numbers with Panarin. And so what do you think his over-under for points are this year? Like, what, what's the what's the limit for him this year? Well, with the start he's gotten off to, uh, you know, I, I kind of was going into the season and, and warning people that maybe 70 points again might be a little much. Right now, with the way he's playing, I, I absolutely think he can get to 70 points again, particularly if Philip Forsberg can get back into the lineup and stay healthy with the chemistry I've seen from those two. So uh, right now I took over under, uh, you know, 65, 65 and a half. And that would be where I would set the bar, you know, assuming that Duchesne stays healthy for a full season, just because I think he's gotten off such a great start and just the role that I've seen him play in this offensive attack so far, I think has gone even better than I thought it would. And I, and I had some pretty high hopes for Matt Duchesne heading into this group. So uh, I, I think 70 points once again is absolutely a possibility with the start that he's gotten off to. And look, I mean, it's been a long time since Predators have had a guy reach 70 points. They would take that in a heartbeat. I think they've got an opportunity for a couple different guys to do that this year. If, like I said, Forsberg can get back and be healthy, I think both he and Duchesne can flirt with a 70-point mark. So uh, I think that's obviously really good news for the Predators if they're able to do that. And then Ryan Johansson is still able to get to that 60-65 point mark like he's been able to do throughout his career. And if you do that, uh, I think you feel really good about your center depth heading into the playoffs. That's kind of been an area that's been lacking with this group. No, It's really no secret. It's been lacking really throughout the history of their entire franchise. In the last few years, they've done a lot of different things to address that. So uh, I think Matt Duchesne, just with the way he plays, uh, just the speed that he played with, I, I think this this team and this system has been a really good fit for him so far. And I'm interested to see 
maybe not if he can keep this pace up that he's been off to start the season because that would be really, really good. But I do think he can get to that 70-point mark. Well, let's talk a little bit about Kyle Turris. Interesting story with him as well. He hasn't been so great since he's come to Nashville, but he's already seeming to look a little better this year, maybe having a bit of a rebound year. We've seen that he's spent some time uh, at the center, uh, the fourth line with uh, Grimaldi and Watson and what have you. But we also saw him on Saturday on the wing with uh, Duchesne and Granlin lined, and he happened to get a goal. So do you think should, that he should be remaining as a center or try playing on the wing as he did in the preseason, and maybe that'll have, help him get more production? Well, I, you know, it's a very interesting question, and it's one that I've kind of wrestled with all preseason long and into the season as the Predators have kind of been trying out who to put up there with Johansson and Arvidsson. They put Craig Smith up there. It didn't go so well the first few games, and then they put Callie Yarncroke up there as well. And it's kind of been a mixed bag of results. So uh, I do think Kyle Turris on the wing with Johansson and Arvidsson is a very intriguing option to me, just because I think we've seen so far this year and the game the other night was a perfect example of it. Kyle Turris has got a great shot. When, when you're able to be on the wing and utilize that shot a little bit more, I do think he could be really dangerous from that area. Now, having said that, it's no secret that Kyle Turris is a natural center. I don't think he's comfortable on the wing. I think they tried that out in the preseason. And just from some of the the vibes I get from Peter Laviolette and the coaching staff, I'm not sure that's a route they're going to be comfortable in going with. So I think the most likely route is that he stays at center and the Predators continue to find other options to put on the wing. But I do think that Kyle Turris on the wing with that shot that he has would be a very intriguing option. Well, if we keep uh, Turris at the center position, would you want to see him either go to the third line or stay on the fourth line? Because I know Benino's kind of an anchor in that third line, but it seems to me that Turris would almost would prefer to play, I guess, in manner speaking, on the third line and have a little more minutes. Because in my experience, and Robbie, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but generally, you know, you, if you're a third pair or you're a fourth line, you're basically getting shelter the most minutes. Oh, you're, you're absolutely right about that, and there's no question. And I think Adam Bingen of The Athletic wrote an article about this today. Kyle Turris is kind of averaging the, the fewest amount of minutes that he's played since I think the 2011-12 season or the 2012-13 season, one of the two. So there's no question that he's not getting the minutes that he's been accustomed to getting throughout the course of his career. And kind of the encouraging part for me, and I think all Predators fans would be, that he's played well in spite of that. I mean, he's had... Rocco Grimaldi and Austin Watson on his line. He's had Rocco Grimaldi and, you know, I think Daniel Carr was on his line at one point too. So he's kind of been a, a mixed bag of line mates, none of which have really been top six quality until the other night when he was on the line with Duchesne and Granlin. And he's still been able to produce in spite of that. So to me, that's really encouraging. I would continue to take advantage of that if I were the Predators and move him up, maybe move Nick Benino down, just because I think Kyle Turris is a more gifted player offensively. And when he's confident and playing well, like he is so far to begin this season, I think you want to keep that going because I, you know, honestly, I think after last year and, and how much of a struggle it was for tourists, people around here just kind of gave up on him and, and just assumed that it wasn't going to work out here in Nashville. And I still think there is a little bit of that. You heard Elliot Friedman and, and Pierre LeBron kind of talk about last week about how the predators tried to move tourists contract in the offseason and could not get any takers to take that deal. 
when he's come back and he's produced as well as he has so far this year, if you could go into a season and have Ryan Johansson, Matt Duchesne, and Kyle Turris down the middle, all being productive players and all being potential top six caliber players, I mean, that puts your center depth right up there with anybody else in the league. So uh, I, I know the Predators have kind of sheltered him so far and put him on the fourth line. If he continues to play the way that he has so far, I would absolutely put Kyle Turris on the ice more and elevate those minutes a little bit, even though I know they're very comfortable with Nick Benito and his line, whether it's been with Colton Sissons and Austin Watson or Colton Sissons and Craig Smith. I, I do know the Predators are very happy with that line as well. But I just think when Kyle Turris, when he's on, he's still a very, very gifted player, and he's shown that so far. I've also noticed, Robbie, that he seems to be very comfortable in that second power play unit. Um, I feel like they're getting way more open looks. It just seems like him and Ellis have been uh, basically manning the point, and it it has looked much more fluid. Would you not agree? Oh, I agree. Uh, I agree 100%. And I think one thing they're doing on that second power play unit, and you saw it, I think in Vegas it was, where he just ripped one from the left circle on the one-timer. They're using that shot. And traditionally, it's been Kyle Turris and Ryan Johansson on the half wall. And you've still seen Turris on the half wall every now and then so far this year. But I think utilizing that shot and kind of opening him up to take that one-timer from Ryan Ellis has worked really well so far. And they're really running the power play on the second unit through Kyle Turris and Ryan Ellis. So I think that's gone really well so far. You know, when you load up that first unit like the Predators have with Duchesne and Forsberg, Johansson, Yossi, and Arbison, that's a whole lot of firepower to put on one unit. So that puts a lot of pressure on Kyle Turris on the second unit to make sure that things are running smoothly. I think it took them a few games to get going on that second unit where they could really generate some good looks. And the last two or three games, I've been really impressed with it. And then obviously the other day, uh, Kyle Turris makes that incredible move to enter the zone and just a great shot uh, to beat Montembeau there for the Florida Panthers. So Turris, I I think, is running that second power play unit really well. And and you got to have multiple options out there. You can't just rely on one power play unit to get all the scoring done for you. And, And I've really liked what I've seen from that second unit in the last three games. Yeah, so obviously we've been talking a lot about the offensive production for the Preds. I mean, numbers are up. We're scoring, you know, most goals essentially per game in the league. We have a 20% power play right now, which is unfathomable considering last year's season. Um, But honestly, some of the biggest news that we haven't talked about was in the offseason, we actually let Subban go and decided to keep Dante, obviously, and... I think we're seeing a little bit of defensive struggles. So do you think there are some growing pains in these first couple games? Because we're scoring a lot of goals, but I feel like we're letting a lot in right now. Yeah, I I do. Uh, I think there have been some growing pains so far. I think even specifically with Dante Fabro, there have been some games where he's looked very, very good. And there have been some games where it's been a struggle for him so far. And you're going to get that out of a 21-year-old. I think the Predators are in a position where they're just going to have to deal with that and let him work through it this year because I do think the talent that he has, he's eventually going to be a very, very good defenseman and a consistently good defenseman for this team. So there may be some growing pains in the first 25, 30 games that Dante Fabro has to deal with as he's learning how to go up against top-quality NHL competition. And maybe in years past, you've had the luxury of kind of bringing a young defenseman along slowly like they did last year when they put him on the third pairing with Dan Hanyus. You don't really have that luxury this year, but I think that's something the Predators are prepared to deal with. And really, when you take a look at their defense so far, the actual defensive zone coverage, once teams have gotten set up in the offensive zone and and are trying to cycle the puck, 
and work in the offensive zone. The Predators' defensive zone coverage, for the most part, has been pretty good. Where they've been burned a lot this year has been on the rush, and that's been a combination of puck management and the offensive zone. They're maybe trying to do a little bit too much offensively at times, and then they turn the puck over. It's going back the other way, and you're giving up either a three-on-one odd man rush or a two-on-one or three-on-two, whatever the case may be. That's happened a lot to the Predators so far this year. So I think some of that has to do with just being smarter with the puck in the offensive zone. As a matter of fact, the other night or the other morning, I asked Peter Laviolette if he's seen any improvement in that counterattack so far in terms of defensively being in the right position. And he looked at me dead in the face and just said, no. And I was like, oh, okay, well, what do you need to do to see some improvement there? And he said, you just got to be smarter with what we're doing out there, be smarter with the puck, and be aware of what's going on. I think a lot of times this year, the Predators have been a little bit too loose with what they're doing offensively, and in turn, that's gotten them burned the other way. And the other part of it is, and a lot of times Predators fans uh, really don't want to hear this, but at times the goaltending this year has just not been good. UC Soros has not played very well. He made some pretty good saves of the high-danger variety against Arizona, but some of the shots he let in were medium-danger to low-danger chances that just got by him. And, and we've seen this a few times so far in UC Soros's career where he started off slow in the season in the beginning of October into November, and then around mid-November into December has figured it out and played lights out. That seems to be kind of the trend he's on so far this year as well, where the first three games for him have been a struggle. He's going to have to get that part figured out. And even Pecorine, I think, has missed on a, on a couple saves so far this year that he probably would admit that he should have made. So it's a combination of, of the defense on the rush, not quite being up to par with what they're normally used to, as well as maybe some goaltending issues so far in the season that I think they'll get figured out as we move along here. Well, I want to circle back real quick on the, when we're talking about the defenseman. So I guess it's a two-part question. So going all the way back to Dante Fabro, do you think Ekholm is the best defensive partner for him uh, so far? Because uh, I know I was looking at some stats from earlier today, and it seems like, of course, the top D pair of Roman Yossi, Ron Ellis is playing lights out. Dante Fabro, Matias Ekholm seem to be playing kind of middle of the road. And then you get to the third pair, which is Dan Ham Hughes. And then, as I like to say, it's Ham Hughes and because it could be Weber, it could be Irwin. And right. like you said earlier, they're like, they're just getting burned. And, you know, the third pair has gotten burned a lot. So I guess in the roundabout way, am I saying is, is Ekholm the best partner for Fabro, or should they look at the idea of possibly splitting Roman Yossi and Ryan Ellis up between Ekholm and Fabro? I think Ekholm is the best partner for him. And the reason I say that is this. You know with Matias Ekholm that he's going to be, for the most part, where he's supposed to be defensively. He joins the rush, but he doesn't join the rush as much as Roman Yossi does. Obviously, there are very few defensemen in the league, if any, that are as gifted as Roman Yossi is offensively with the puck. So I say that to say if Roman Yossi is paired with Dante Fabro you're pretty much exclusively relying on Dante Fabro at that point to be the one that sits back and make sure he stays at home. And at this point in his career, I'm not sure that's something that I would be comfortable doing yet. Will he get to that point where I think he can be paired with Roman Yossi? Yes, I believe he will. But at this stage of Fabro's career, I really like what they've done in putting him with Ekholm because I think Ekholm is more defensively responsible than Roman Yossi is. And I think to put Fabro with Roman Yossi would be asking a lot of a rookie to be able to play with Yossi and make sure you're staying at home and constantly kind of being that anchor on the back end because you don't want Yossi 
to change the way that he plays uh, with how gifted he is offensively. There's no secret. I think the NHL Network put this stat out uh, over the offseason that Roman Yossi generates more shots from the slot and more passes to the slot and more high-danger attempts for a defenseman than any other defenseman in the entire league. And that's because he's so gifted with the puck and what he's able to do skating. So for that reason, I think it's good that they've left Dante Fabro with Matias Ekholm. Like I said before, there have been a few times this year where there have been some growing pains. And I think when you're getting used to playing with a new defenseman like Ekholm is with Fabro, they haven't quite totally figured each other out yet. That's going to come, obviously, the more games you play with each other. Uh, so I think as we move into the middle of the season here, you're really going to see Ekholm and Fabro round into form. It's just going to take a little bit longer than I think most Predators fans are used to. And that being said, what do we do with that third pair, though? That's a great question, because <laughs> if you look at kind of the options the Predators have right now in the system, there's really not a whole lot there. I mean, I think Hamuse and Weber are the probably the best two options they have for that third pairing. We saw what happened when it was Matt Irwin and Weber earlier in this year, oh, and the numbers were just atrocious. It was, it, it was really, really bad. I know it sounds terrible. I was telling the uh, telling the guys the other day. I said, uh, you know, with Hampus out there, I said if you put Matt Irwin out there, I said I'd rather you just put just like a chair or a traffic cone because I think it honestly would do better. Yeah, I mean it hasn't been good. I mean, there's no question about that. And you look at Milwaukee, and you've got you know Jared Tenorti, uh, who had a pretty good training camp and stuck around. I think longer than most people thought that he would. And you've got Steven Santini, who the Predators acquired from the New Jersey Devils in the trade for PK Subban. And just from what I've seen historically from Santini throughout his career and the time that I saw him in the preseason with the preseason with the Predators, I don't think that's a very good option on the third pairing as well. So the Predators are in a position, I think, for the first time in a very long time where, you know, traditionally when we've been trying to anticipate what David Poyle is going to do at the trading deadline, it's always been, okay, well, what forward do they need to go after? What top six winger do they need to have? What depth forward do they need to add to this group? I don't know how much of that you're going to see or talk about this year. I, I think the big conversation when we get down to the trade deadline this year is going to be what defensemen are out there that are going to be available that are maybe second or third pairing defensemen that you can slide in for the Predators and, and put on that third pairing and kind of approach the game that way. That's going to be, I think, the talking point for David Poyle and the Predators this year because I just don't like many of the options they have in Milwaukee. I don't think they would make much of a difference on the third pairing. And while Hamus and Weber statistically this year at times have been okay, I, I think the eye test has told a different story and they've done some damage out there, not in a good way. And I always say this, you're, you're not looking for your third defense pairing to do anything spectacular. You're not looking for them to go score a game-winning goal or really do anything that, that goes out and wins you a game. You're looking for your third defense pairing basically to not screw the game up. And far too many times this year, the third de defense pairing has screwed the game up, and that's something that they're going to have to get get fixed because, you know, when you're at home, you can kind of work through these matchups a little bit better. When you get in the playoffs and you're on the road and, and the other team has the last change, they're going to feast on that third pairing, and that's something the Predators are going to have to address. So being 10 games into the season, how do you honestly feel about the team right now? I mean, I know it is only 10 games and we only have this small sample size. And as you were saying, you know, you never know what Poyle has up his sleeve for the trade deadline. But what are you thinking that they need to work on? And honestly, obviously, the power play has been much more improved this year. So, 
Well, right now, the, the power play has been fine. The penalty kill has been awful. And that's something, it's almost like they've switched places a little bit from a year ago where the penalty kill toward the end of the season was lights out good for the Nashville Predators and the power play just sucked last year. It, was, it just sucked the life out of the team. And it's really been the, the opposite so far this year. The penalty kill has not played well at all. And it's a small sample size. Uh, it's the first 10 games of the year. And they kind of had a similar start last year where the penalty kill really struggled out of the gate. And then they figured it out as the year went along. I'm interested to see what the Predators do to, to, to have better results on the penalty kill as we move forward here in the regular season. So far, the Predators, the record has been kind of exactly what I thought it would be to start the season. I think more th- more so this year than in years past, maybe the last two or three years, I think it's going to take them a little bit longer to really hit full speed just because you didn't make a whole lot of changes in the offseason. But the two changes that you made in getting rid of P.K. Subban and bringing in Matt Duchesne, those are big changes, and those require – a lot of different pieces to move around. I think Johansson's line is still trying to figure out how to adjust without having Philip Forsberg on it. I think Dante Favreau and Matias Ekholm are still trying to figure out how to adjust to playing together. And that bumps the third pairing apart. You had Favreau on the third pairing at the end of last year with Hamus, and they played really well in the playoffs. Now you're back to Hamus and Weber, like we talked about with the last question. So there's just a lot of different moving parts that they're having to kind of work through this year that they haven't had to work through before. And, oh, by the way, I think the division is going to be as good this year uh, as it's ever been before. So I, I know the Dallas Stars have gotten off to a rough start. Uh, and and I, I think of the two teams that have, got, that have gotten off to poor starts in the division, being the Stars and the Wild, the Stars are by far the more likely ones to pull themselves out of that and get back in, into the uh, competitiveness here in the Central Division. So the Predators... I think it's going to take them a little bit longer to really hit full stride this year. But once they do, uh, I think they're potentially better equipped this year to be more dangerous in the playoffs because they have more options offensively. They have more of a balanced attack offensively. And once you get the defensive part of your game figured out, which I believe they will, I think this team is right up there with any other team in the division. Uh, I had them finishing third in the division heading into the year just because uh, I think it's so difficult to win this division three years in a row, and the division is so good. We've seen with Colorado how good of a start they've gotten off to. Obviously, St. Louis won the Stanley Cup last year. Dallas, I think, is going to rebound at some point. Uh, Chicago, I think, will be better than they were a year ago. So there's a whole lot of moving parts in this division that the Predators are going to have to contend with. But they've been just about where I thought they would be so far, maybe a little bit better offensively and a little bit worse defensively than I thought they would have been. But I think both of those things are going to balance out as we move along in the rest of the season here, and they're going to be very dangerous on playoff time. Yeah, to credit your point, Robbie, uh, they're currently sitting at 30th in the league for PK at a stellar 65.4, and only the Winnipeg Jets at 61.1% are worse than the Nashville Preds right now on the PK. Yeah, that's not going to get it done. No, That's not going to get it done. They're going to have to figure that part out. No, it's not. Well, Robbie, as we get ready to wrap the interview up, we were joking earlier before the show, you know, we had Chris Martell on last season and he uh, gave us a couple of stories of the locker room. And, you know, we've heard a couple from Michael Gallagher as well, too. And so the question I have for you is what kind of stories do you have? And I want to ask specifically about one also in context about your Christmas suit. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. The good old Christmas suit. So I think it was the year they went to the Stanley Cup final. So uh, the Christmas of 2016 heading into the 2017 calendar year, I wore this bright red 
suit with reindeer on it and all different kinds of things. And it was just a hit in the locker room. Yeah, Peter Laviolette was speechless. He didn't really know what to say. I walked in the locker room and James Neal was giving it to me about my shoes. And Ryan Johansson literally walked up to me and stopped and just stared at me for about 10 seconds with this bewildered look on his face about this Christmas suit and then slapped me on the chest and was like, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. So the Christmas suit was a gigantic hit. There's no question about that. So uh, working with, uh, like I said, you know, Martell, Gallagher, Bradford, Gover, between you guys, now you guys are all pretty tight. Any good stories that you can share with us uh, between you guys? Well, there, there is one story that comes to mind with Martell, and I don't know <laughs> yes. if y'all remember this or know what this is, but he wore this device called Google Glass. And oh essentially, for your listeners, what that is, is it's basically like this futuristic-looking um, <laughs> thing you put around your head that, that you can look through with your eyes that records video. It, and he, he had this in like 2013 and 2014. Um, and he was in the locker room just kind of walking around doing interviews. And as you might imagine, if you're a player and you've never seen a device like this before, you're kind of wondering what the heck is going on when you get this guy just wearing this thing, looking at you and recording video and with this futuristic looking thing. So he's sitting there and I can't remember who he's interviewing, but I'm kind of waiting on uh, whoever I was trying to interview to come out from the, from the locker room. And Shay Weber walks up to me and starts looking at Martell. He puts his hand on my shoulder and I'll give you the PG version of what he said. He looks at me and he goes, Robbie, what the heck is that? <laughs> and I had to explain to Shea Weber what Google Glass was <laughs> while, oh my goodness. while Chris Martell was recording his teammates with video. And he looked at me and said, this world just gets stranger by the day and walks off back into the locker room. So Martell has caused uh, quite a few funny incidents in that locker room. One funny one for me would be Mike Fisher. So for those of you who don't know, I have type 1 diabetes, and with that, I wear an insulin pump. And sometimes the insulin pumps that I wear, they, they malfunction. So what happens when they malfunction is either maybe they've gotten them too much static electricity or, or whatever the case may be, they make this god-awful beeping sound that sounds like a bomb is about to go off. So one time I'm sitting there and I'm interviewing Mike Fisher, and my insulin pump malfunctions. And, and it starts beeping like a countdown, like this bomb <laughs> is about to go off. And just the level of concern of Mike Fisher's face were looking at me, looking like I was about to blow up. He's like, Robbie, are you okay? It was so funny just to watch his reaction of, of thinking, I guess, that I had a bomb attached to my leg. Well, Robbie, once again, thank you so much for joining us. It sounds like you got a little, little M on the background. It's ready to get, ready to get you off, out of the way. <laughs> yeah, she's going nuts. I appreciate you guys having me. No problem. And Robbie, where can people find you on Twitter? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at rstanleynhl. I try to make it as entertaining as I can, and I put all my content from nhl.com out there. So at rstanleynhl on Twitter is where you can find me and my takes about hockey and Cracker Barrel and all that nonsense. One day I'm going to find you game and talk about Cracker Barrel because I do love some Cracker Barrel. Kyle used to work for Who Cracker Barrel. Kyle used to work for Cracker Barrel. <laughs> I just want to point that out as an IT guy. So he had the, he had the hookup for many years. So. Uh, I'll insert this real quick. So, Robbie, when I started at Cracker Barrel, <laughs> my first week there, they took me around and they said, here's where you can get food that we make in the stores that we just sell super cheap. And I kid you not, the first purchase I ever made was a whole plate of biscuits for a dollar. Best day ever. Oh, man. Consequently, Kyle ended up at 300 plus pounds so that would make a very dangerous time for me. <laughs> <laughs> well robbie you take care and we'll talk to you down the road all right thanks fellas appreciate it
So we've got about 10 minutes left or so on the show. So Matt, do we have any sort of league news to talk about? Yeah, I can uh, scrap up a couple items to talk about. I found this was kind of interesting. The Kings have actually covered up a Taylor Swift banner there in their stadium. And apparently some of the other teams have already done that. And the Kings have now caught on. They said the fans don't like it at the hockey games. They don't like seeing a Taylor Swift banner about some kind of accomplishment she had. So they cover it up with the picture of their player or something else just to hide the fact that Taylor Swift has a banner in their rafters. Guess what? Win. Yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> Against the Predators, too, I might add. That's yeah. the funny part. It's working, obviously. Yeah. It, hey, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Well, they're definitely fixing it with a cover that's or right. a blanket over it. So Maybe uh, that was the key to their success all along. Don't think so. They're still pretty much in the basement, but it doesn't matter. But I will say another good thing looking forward is that the Sharks have welcomed back Longtime favorite, Patrick Marlowe, back to the Sharks, baby, back in San Jose. He was tearing up a little bit. It was wonderful. Yeah, it was a great, Did you great cry a little welcome bit, home. Uh, it, it was a little, it was not, I did not cry, but you could tell, man, he means a lot. The fans mean a lot to him, and he means a lot to the San Jose community. And I was watching that game, and it was just incredible. And I had been wanting him to come back, so I'm glad to see him back in San Jose. But a story that might not be quite as heartfelt is that five former Ottawa Senators lead their respected clubs in scoring, including Mark Stone, Matt Duchesne, Jakob Silverberg, Mike Hoffman, and Mika Zibanejad all lead their respected clubs in scoring. That's five former Senators have had more success anywhere other than Ottawa, basically. Yeah, and also throwing like people like Kyle Turris, who's also having a rebound year. I, I, I mean, that's, that's practically an entire roster's worth of people that are leading the league at that point in time when this was taken that's insane just to let you know how badly managed right now Ottawa is and interestingly enough the Minnesota Wild have got off to a really rocky start as well they had lost six of seven I think they're now uh, have lost six of eight games not a great start and uh, Jason Zucker went on record after the game and kind of criticized Bruce Boudreaux a little bit there Uh, not just Bruce but his team and he kind of got some heat over that criticizing the coach and I don't know if he meant it that way because you hear him walk back his story and he was really just trying to include everybody in there. He was really trying to talk about the players and just try to include everybody in the organization, including coaching. But it come out as a direct hit against Boos Brudrow and he got a little flack for that. But uh, he's a good hockey guy. He kind of made it a little bit better after the fact. But very interesting. You don't usually see that type of a brash reaction from a player. And speaking of an emotional reaction from Matt, we get a text earlier in the week and there was one last face off oh in the good old joe arena bro and they posted it and this man's almost in tears yeah probably. It, yeah i was laying in bed it was it was about time to go sleep and i saw the post from red wings they're tearing down joe lewis arena it's almost all the way gone and you got chris draper taking a face off on the last little bits of asphalt there before they tear the whole place down and uh it, it was it was kind of emotional <laughs> i have to say <laughs> it's actually a really cool picture because it's like them in the middle on the last piece of like standing concrete and in the background it had like all the the tressing and yeah. everything was like starting to get torn down and you could see just barbed wire and like uh, bobcats everywhere so yeah it's just is emotional because to me, you know, the Joe Lewis arena represented the uh, the golden age of hockey when hockey was at its finest, the greatest rivalries, the greatest cup runs, and uh, you know, not only was that just at the Joe Lewis arena, it it was the Joe Lewis arena. So that kind of just it uh, it it is everything that I love about hockey. So to see it go, 
Uh, kind of sad, a little bit of a tearjerker for me. But uh, <laughs> hockey's all about traditions, man. That's so. right. So that that was tough. But let's go on to something a little bit uh, happier, and that is a couple records I'll mention. Is that Phil the Thrill Kessel has now got the seventh longest Ironman streak at 777 straight games. Hot dog, Phil, man. That's right. You know, I learned that he apparently doesn't like hot dogs all that much. He's apparently more of a hamburger guy, and that picture got blown out of proportion. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't all. matter. It's I'm, that's what I'm going to remember him as. Oh yeah, like, for I sure, don't care. forever. <laughs> it's 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 more laughable, comical. So it's a better story. And a guy you might not have heard of though is Buffalo Sabres Victor Olafson is now actually the first player in history for his first seven career goals to come on the power play. So. It's crazy. That's all he scores on. Yeah. I was watching that the other day. I'm like, he can't score a goal on five on five. But, man, you put him on the power play. He's he's young, but I have to say he's looking like a power play sniper to me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah obviously. And it's hardly uh, show notes if I don't have McDavid or, or Ovechkin in the record book here. And this week we've got, it looks like McDavid and Dreisaitl combined to be the first pair of teammates to have 15 points in their first seven games of a season uh, since 95 when Lemieux and uh, Yager did it. So pretty good history for them. And also, of course, Ovechkin's in there as well. He passes Temu Solani, my boy, for 11th all-time in goals. It's crazy, right? Yes. And he's he's uh, had a sneak peek at the uh, stadium the other day. Tamu saw him in the audience, and he was kind of peeking his head. He didn't want to be seen or whatever. But uh, it was nice to see him in the, in, the, in the stands. But Ovechkin is a powerhouse, 11th all-time, baby. So, Daniel, before we uh, wrap the show up completely, what games we got coming up? Yes, we actually have two more home games coming up against the Anaheim Ducks and the Minnesota Wild, uh, followed by a Saturday trip down to the Lightning Stadium. Kyle, you've been there. It's a good place. I yeah. like it. Yeah, a little well, hot, but I like it. Oh, yes. Very hot. Uh, we then return next week uh, against Chicago and Calgary, followed by another home game against the New York Rangers. And then by the time we record next, that night, we should be playing the Detroit Red Wings. Oh, so we yeah. will get done probably podcasting and then instantly turning on the TV to watch that game. So Hopefully to not see a loss. Oh, it's, probably, it's a loss. I mean, let's just be real. Yeah, like we said, so in those teams, we just always seem to lose. But guys, thank you so much for tuning into the show today. I want to say once again, thank you to Robbie Stanley for joining us to talk some Preds. If you'd like to find the show on iTunes, you can find us two different ways. You can look for us at Music City Gold or Penalty Box Radio. And you can also find episodes of this show at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. So until next time, you guys take care. We'll see you then. You've been listening to Music City Gold on the Penalty Box Radio Network. We'd love to interact with you on Twitter. The show can be found at Music City Gold. You can find Kyle at Kyle Hancock, Daniel at Steve Dan Drum, and Matt at MattBain31. Past episodes of the show can be found by subscribing to Music City Gold or Penalty Box Radio on iTunes or at PenaltyBoxRadio.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the ice.